Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast all about books. Today for The Stacks Book Club, we are discussing Sister Outsider by Audre Lorde. This book is a collection of Lorde's essays and speeches that address oppression, self-care, rage, and more, all through Lorde's unique lens as a queer Black mother and daughter there are no spoilers on today's episode. To help us discuss this book, we have brought back Asha Grant, the founder of the LA branch of the Free Black Women's Library. If you're interested in supporting the work that we do around here, please consider making a contribution to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash the stacks, and you'll earn insider perks like our video book club. There's also a bunch of new exciting stuff coming to our Patreon page in April. Another way you can show us some love is by making sure to subscribe, rate, and review. It's so easy and it goes a long way. Don't forget everything we talk about on today's show can be found in the show notes along with social media accounts for the Stacks and our guests. Now it's time for the Stacks Book Club discussion of Sister Outsider by Audre Lorde with our guest, Asha Grant. All right, you guys, we're back this week for the Stacks Book Club. We're discussing Sister Outsider with Audre Lorde or by Audre Lorde. And our guest today is Asha Grant. Asha is the founder of the LA branch of the Free Black Women's Library. Asha, welcome back. Hi, happy to be back. Yay. Yay. Okay. We're t- discussing Sister Outsider. I'll give the people a look. There will not be spoilers Um, today because you can't really spoil this stuff because it's essays and speeches, but we will be talking about the book in detail. Um, And I'll give people a little background. I reached out to you to be on the show. I said, what do you want to do? And you're like, this is the book. I want to do Sister Outsider. And I was like, okay, well, what about these other options? And then you're like, yeah, we could do that. But this is like my favorite book and I've read it a million times. And I said, you know, I've not read it yet. This will be great. So I'm coming at it from a total newbie's perspective and you're coming at it from years of time with it and rereading and revisiting. So yeah, I guess we'll start with, this is kind of a silly question because we know you love it, but what do you think of this book? Um, this book is my literal Bible. Okay. Um, as I mentioned, I think in the other episode, like I first encountered Audre Lorde when I was in school. Um, actually, no, I encountered Audre Lorde when I was in high school. My stepdad gave me a book of her poetry. Mm. She has this poetry book called The Black Unicorn. And he was like, hey, you should read this. And I was like, mm, no, I'm okay. Um, and I just like put it on my shelf and never really revisited it mm. until I was in school. And I was like, I remember this name. Um, and anyway, so when I was in school, I had to read some of the essays from this book for like my Black Feminist Theory class and other 
relevant classes. And I was like, this book has all of the answers. Like, I just was like, all of the questions that I have, like Mm. all of the, and on multiple levels. So not just about like my identity as like a black person or like a woman or a black woman, but like even myself as like a writer or like Mm. just as a person who's even still today, like finding myself and trying to figure out like how to care for myself. It just has so much, so much in it that has like really shaped just who I am and how I like move in this world. Yeah. So it's super important to me. Okay. Yeah. I had a slightly different read on it. Okay. So I really liked it, Mm. but I came to it so late in my life Mm -hmm. that a lot of the information I think I learned from other sources, even Mm. if they were sampling from her, Mm. like a lot of the stuff I had heard. Yeah. So it didn't feel as like groundbreaking to me because I think she's influenced so many people that I, a lot of this stuff, though it could be attributed to her, it didn't land it wasn't as ground shaking for me yeah. because I'd had like maybe a bit of it here or a bit of it there. Yeah. And like the idea of like intersectionality and all that stuff that she was doing before we had those words. I have thought about them, even mm-hmm. though I, you know what I mean? Does that yeah. make sense? No, it makes complete sense because I mean, this book is a really foundational text. Right. For other things. Right. And for people who are doing the work that she kind of inspired, they're, they were inspired by her. Yeah. And so I think that I'm like the next generation. That's mm-hmm. who I've learned from. Yeah. And so while I maybe didn't know, I didn't know that it was all or like that a lot of it came from her and her work and her and her time teaching and all that. I knew a lot of it. So mm. I don't think I ever really had major like aha moments mm. that I think a lot of people have. Mm. That being said, it's a great book. Mm. It just wasn't as like, <gasps> yeah. for me. Yeah. And like, yeah. And I'm sure if you read this when you were like in college, yeah. like you're like 18, 19. Of course. You're going to be like, wait a minute. What? Right. Of course. Yeah. No, but I agree. And I think a lot of it too is that a lot of the language that we use to describe even things like like self-care as a revolutionary act, like that's Audre Lorde. Right. But that is, bit, that's like also at the forefront of like the wellness movement that we're having right now, like on social media and stuff like that. So a lot of it, like you said, does go back to her. Um, And I think that's why I kind of am always like revisiting it because Mm. I'm like, in my brain, I'm like, I'm going back to the source. Like, what did she say? And there's, but it's wild. I think it's so funny how I I can't have a conversation now about books without talking about social media mm. because yeah it's such a huge part it's of a reading huge huge part and there's so many ways that the things that we read are like condensed and packaged for us on mm. social media yeah um and so even just I think of like all of the like memes around Audrey Lord's like quotes and stuff like mm-hmm. that and how like I'm sure there's probably people today that maybe haven't read this book, but like are familiar with major quotes from this book. Well, I did not know that the master's tool cannot dismantle the master's house. I didn't know that was her. Yeah. I'd heard that a million times. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and that's why, that's why I say it's like a Bible. It's literally, it's just like, it's just that foundational text that everything has come out of. Um, And it was super, I mean, for the time that it came out, which was like in the 80s, it's like a super radical moment for her. And one thing that that is more like 
that's not as uncommon now, but just to be able to name all of your identities at I, once. That's one of the first things I had written down was mm-hmm. that the thing that I found so powerful about this book and made me reflect a lot on who I am and mm-hmm. who I want to be mm-hmm. and who I how I want to identify mm-hmm. was like seeing her do that in this text yeah. and thinking like, wow. Because a lot of these speeches and um, and essays... The book came out in 1984, mm. but they're from prior. They're mm-hmm. from the 70s even. Mm-hmm. And I, some of the stuff she's talking about is like the 1960s and all that. Mm-hmm. But to think of like someone coming out, a black woman coming out and saying, I am black, I am a woman, I'm a lesbian, mm-hmm. I'm a mother, mm-hmm. I am a daughter of immigrants, I'm an activist, yeah. I'm an educator. Like all of the, I'm a cancer survivor or yeah. cancer patient or, yeah. you know, like all of these things that now I feel like we do that in a lot of ways but not necessarily to that level. Like I think yeah. that that's something that we're that people want want to do or want to be is be able to name themselves. But even now, when it's more comfortable to do that, mm-hmm. I don't think people really fully do it. So the idea yeah. of her doing this in the seventies and eighties is like, whew. it's huge. And she's really like, I think one of her like greatest things that I've taken away from her is her talking about how there's no hierarchy of oppressions Mm. and how like, like she's like, you're not going to put this over this. Like you're not going to do this over this. Like I'm all of these things and all of these things inform me in different ways. Right. Um, And she also was one of the first people, at least I knew of at the time who like self-identified as fat. And like, that was a part of her identity as well. Like she was like, and like in, now I think with this conversation we're having around like fat phobia and like all of you know different ways that people are naming themselves and stuff like that like that was really radical for her to yeah. say for that to be a part of her identity right not you know outside not something of her, I'm like, working on yeah like, not like I'm someone who's fat like I think a lot of the times when it comes to like body mm-hmm. people don't identify as their body because they can change it. Mm -hmm. You know, like, oh, I'm fat right now, but I'm always trying to lose five pounds as opposed to like, this is the body that I'm in and this is what I am. Yeah. You know? And I don't think people always put um, fat phobia on the same level of, on the same level in conversations about like racism or like sexism or classism and stuff like that. Because it can conceivably change. Right. Exactly. Like it's something that you can quote unquote control. Right. And so, yeah, she was like, um, no, like this affects me in different ways. Like me being fat and being black and being a lesbian, like all of these right, things like right. change the way that you interact with me and like the ways that I interact with you. So, yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm just like now kind of like processing the idea of identifying as fat and thinking that because it, it does sort of remind me of like the way that people talk about like race in the sense that it's like, well, no one would say that you can change your race, right? Like you mm-hmm. can't be like all of a sudden, to, unless you're Rachel, Rachel Dolezal. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but I do think that there's something that's like about being like a better quote. There's a lot of air quotes happening over here, people. <laughs> like a better black person or like a black person that, you know, like respectability politics. So like mm-hmm. while you can't be not black, you could be like less black, right? right? Like, well, like, so I think that that is how oppression works, whether it is something that you could conceivably change or not. Yeah. This idea that like what you are is there's a way to be what you are that's less offensive to everybody else. Yeah. You know, exactly. and like I think that's really interesting because I'd never I, I would never have put 
those thoughts together if you mm. hadn't said that. Oh, well, yeah. I'm glad that we're having this talk. <laughs> Me too. I yeah. always love having these conversations because I feel like I always get to learn a lot selfishly. Mm. Um, I let, Let's stay on this idea of identity for a second. Um, how do you feel like, because one of the things, because this book is so specifically her, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's her identity, it's her words, her essays. Mm-hmm. It's specific to what she's lived. I'm always curious, like, how do you You've interacted with a lot of people who have read this, I'm sure. How do you feel like their identity plays into or your identity plays into interacting with this text? I um, It's so interesting because so we just like laid out most of her identities and a lot of people that I know who have really been affected by her work, they are not people that represent all of those identities, right. but like are still really connected to like the I guess just like connected to and just really inspired by like how just like her sense of like unapologetic right. about those things which is right. like I feel like everybody can connect to like I think that I'm thinking specifically about her essay um uses of the erotic the erotic mm. is power which is like even though the book is um centering like women and centering like tapping into that like deep yes within yourself that isn't actually talking about sex at all, but really talking about like you, I guess, I don't know if this is spoiling it, but we're spoiling anyway. It doesn't matter. Okay. Um, But yeah, talking about like you actually like listening to what you really want to do and like Mm. acting on that. And what she really illuminated for me, which she literally says in the essay, it's like when you're not actually tapping into that like full body yes moment, or like full body no, which is kind of like also a yes to yourself. Right. Um, then you're suffering. Right. And you're like, actually, many of us are are living in a state of suffering constantly. Right. Because we're actually always trying to like go up against the things that we really want or like the, yeah, just that full body yes. And when you don't do that, you're like, you're just dead. Right, right, <laughs> right. And I was like, oh my God, I'm always dead inside. <laughs> um, and so, but yeah, but that like is an essay that really moves a lot of people. And when I do the workshop, like, because I feel like some of her language is a little bit dated. Yeah. Like, I feel like Audrey Lord of today probably would maybe s- say different things in different ways. Um, but I really do think that you can still sort of use like the word woman to like represent whatever oppression it right, is. Right. Yeah. I think it's like a placeholder. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that I took away from the book was that it's still really timely. Mm-hmm. Like it still feels so relevant. Mm-hmm. There were sections that I was thinking like, wow, we're having this conversation right the fuck now. Yeah. Like right this minute. Yeah. Like, I mean, th- we're recording this the last second last week of February and there was just a democratic debate last night. I don't know if you watched it, Mm. but um, Elizabeth Warren like really took on Michael Bloomberg Mm. and people were talking about how angry she was Mm. and like how anger is like not a good look on her. And Mm. as, as I'm watching this, I have obviously sister outsider in my Mm. mind and there's an essay on rage and Mm -hmm. she, so much of this book is about rage and, and about how people want to qualify or quantify or subdue the rage of women. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, Mm -hmm. this is the same conversation. This is the same stuff in 2020 that we were talking about in 1984, which 
I'm sure none of that is necessarily new. I'm mm-hmm. sure we were talking about it in 1784 too. Yeah, right. But like, we yeah. <laughs> like, you know, people want to police women in any ways that they can, mm-hmm. but I just like to see it in the headlines and like to yeah. see it, you know, I'm seeing tweets last night that are like, anger is not a good look on her. Oh, or like, you know, it's like, Oh really? really? Well, fully go fuck yourself. How about that? Yeah. How, how's that anger? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Because I think that yeah, there's so sure. much rage yeah. and within there's so groups much that have been oppressed. Exactly. Like you would be <laughs> fucking mad too. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. And I think of um, there's so much in this book that I feel like attacks white feminism. Like right. before white feminism was even called white feminism. Right. It was just called feminism. Yeah. It was just feminism. But like she was calling bullshit all the time. Like she had a there's a speech in here where she talks about like coming to this conference and being like, where are the black women that are supposed to be on these panels? Like where are the feminism? Yeah. Yeah. About feminism. Like, and it's like, it's amazing to read because it's like, wow, I can connect with this. But it's like, damn, I really, it's sad that I have to connect with this. Like, 40, you know, years later. Well, that reminded me of like the women's March too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like there's so many things that I could think of examples of what she was talking about right now yeah. easily. Like I didn't have to scour my brain. It was like, yeah. she'd say a sentence and I'm like, Oh, women's March popped into yeah. my head. That's so interesting. Yeah. Um, and like the erasure of black women and other women of color. I mean, I think one of the things that she also does that's great is mm. she says, this is who I, who I am and this is what I'm standing in. And while it might not be exactly who you are or what you're standing in, I'm with you without mm-hmm. having to every time I say black women, say black women and other women of color. Yeah, you know, like yeah. she's just like, this is my shit. Yeah. This is what I'm dealing with. And every once in a while, she'll remind you that she hasn't forgotten about you if you're not yeah. in that group. Yeah. But I appreciate it because I feel like sometimes people are try to be so inclusive mm-hmm. and it's like, you can't be, yeah. you can't be authentically you and truthful yeah. to you and like be in your yes yeah. and also be worried about everyone else's yeah. stuff, you know? Yeah. So it's like, she's definitely inviting other people in, but she doesn't, you know, she's not writing essays about El Salvador, right? Mm-hmm. Like she's like, I'm going to talk about Granada because that's, those are my mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And I just, I really like that because I think that, that's what makes it powerful. I think sometimes when you try to please too many groups, it just doesn't work. It doesn't yeah. land. Yeah. And I mean, you're the expert in your own experience. Right. And it's, I think what's also like really powerful too is that it's like there are things that people can learn even from your experience too. Like you don't necessarily have to like bring the whole world on your back right. in order for people to like connect with what you're saying. Like you living in your truth and like speaking on that and explaining like the ways that like we talked about before like growing up as an immigrant kid like all these different things like there's actually a lot of ways people can connect to you right um and your experience from like many sides like i didn't grow up with like immigrant parents but like it's important for me to listen to someone who did right right and even if you did grow up with immigrant parents like it's not to say it's the same but right yeah so it's just all good. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Well, and she also says there's, uh, I, can, I wish I could remember which essay it was. Mm. Um, it's in the one of the latter half, mm. uh, but she says something about single, there's no such thing as like a single issue. Yes. We don't live single issue lives. Right. We don't live single yeah. issue lives. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, even if you did grow up with immigrant parents from Granada, mm-hmm. like she did at the same time, your experience could be totally different. Yeah. And I, I, the example I always use is 
like when we talk about like Cubans mm. and I'm like, Marco Rubio is not having the same life experience as Yasiel Puig. Yeah. They're both Cuban. Yeah. But like, just like I'm not having the same experience as Jared Kushner. Yeah. Like we're both American, yeah. Yeah. you know? And I think that like sometimes we simplify others yes. and like we want to make everybody the same when they have a different label than us. But in our own group, we can see you know, the, the, yeah, the variations. And I think also like people who are oppressed are able to see the humanity and other Mm -hmm. people much more. Mm -hmm. And, and that can change. Like if you're, you know, many of us are in oppressed groups in some of our identities and then not in others, you know, like I'm a black woman, but I'm also heterosexual and cisgender. Mm -hmm. So like I can represent both things at once. Mm -hmm. And most of us can, I think very few people are, only in marginalized communities and only or only in the communities of the oppressor, mm-hmm. you know? And I think like, I think that that's something that it's confusing. Sometimes I'm confused. I confuse myself when I recognize that about myself. It's scary. Cause like you identify, yeah, it's scary. And like you identify, or I identify so much with certain parts of myself mm-hmm. and then other parts of myself that maybe I don't identify with as much, maybe because I know that's the bad guy's side. Yeah. No, know? I feel you. Like I was just having this conversation with my friend about me um, going to South Africa was my second time going to Africa. Mm-hmm. And the first time I was there, I was there for about four months mm-hmm. and I was teaching in, in Ghana. South Africa. Oh, Ghana. Okay. Yeah. In Ghana, um, specifically in Kumasi. And I had to grapple with all of that stuff. Like, I mean, here I identify as a black woman, I am obviously American um, and I recognize that I have like different privileges because I'm also cisgender. Um, I am a queer woman, but that's not really the first thing people think about me when they see me. So, um, yeah. So going to Ghana, I'm like having to grapple with like American privilege and Mm. also having to grapple with like uh, just the the currency exchange and being like, wow, I'm like super rich here. Like when I'm at home, I'm broke as shit, but it doesn't matter because right now I'm not right. You know? And so it's not helpful for some, like if someone assumes like, Oh, like you have money, it's not helpful for me to be like, no, I don't. Cause like I do right now. Right. So yeah. And it's really scary to be like, am I like a part of that other group that right. actually it's oppressing me. Like right. <laughs> it's really, um, it's scary, but I think what's scarier is when we don't acknowledge those things right. and then we, you know, act like that not exists and we don't actually have those like complicated experiences. That's the scariest. Right. Did you, did it change for you when you were, went to South Africa? Did you um, notice? It did a little bit just because they have like different racial categories right. for people. And, right. um, and just a different demographic there too. So, uh, I didn't really stick out as much as I did, um, when I was in Ghana. Interesting. So yeah, it was a different experience. But, yeah. I, but still I, grappling. I mean, yeah. the currency exchange, I want to say it's like one to 14 or something wow. ridiculous. Like, and so yeah, it's no secret that like I, again, I was faced with it where I was like, okay, like, yes, I'm a woman and that means something. And yes, I'm, you know, black, but like, also coming from America and like presenting the way that I do and like the educational background that I have and like all these different things are like 
they're not my favorite parts of me, but they're huh. a part of me. Right. So, no, definitely. Yeah. I had a similar, I mean, I had a slightly different feeling, but when I went to South Africa, because mm. my mom is white and my dad is black. Mm. And so in South Africa, I'm not black. Yeah, you're colored. I'm, I'm colored. Yeah. And I'm not mixed, which is what I would say I am here. I'd say, oh, I'm mm. mixed. Or like, because I don't like the term biracial. I think it's like okay. a little weird, even though my Instagram handle is bitracial, but that's I more about that, my name. And I thought that was more of my biracial thing. Well, but. no, it's because I am biracial. My name is Tracy, so it fits in perfect. It's like okay. more like wordplay. <laughs> but I never refer to myself as biracial. I always wow. say I'm mixed. Okay. But in South Africa, I'm not mixed. Yeah. Mixed is its own thing there. Yeah. And so that was really confusing to yeah. me. Because I, because like in, in South Africa, mixed involves like, like um like Indian. Yeah. Right? Like it's like colored is black and white. Yeah. I still I'm gonna be frank. I still don't get I it. I still don't quite get it. Yeah. I I did get it when I went when I was in mm. college, I did a whole class on South Africa and art in South Africa and then we went mm. and we stayed we like hung out with all the kids from the local college oh. and it was like really dope. It was an amazing experience. Wow. But I don't remember shit. Okay. But I know that when I was there, I wasn't black. <laughs> and I remember being like, what the fuck? Because yeah. in America, colored is like a slur. Absolutely. Now it is. Yeah. Though I'm trying to bring back the term colored to include mm. people of color in general. Like, like colored people. Like colored people. I got you. Like I think that that is – because I, I, like, I don't like people of color sometimes because people mean black or mm. they mean – Latinx or they mean yeah. Asian, but they say people of color because they like don't use as a tool of erasure. Yeah, it's they like, want to say people of color because they they feel weird about saying yeah. naming. Yeah, but I feel like colored people. This I know people are going to be like, "What the fuck, Tracy?" <laughs> but I tried to convince my friends. Nobody was in, on board. But okay. I feel like using the like reclaiming the term "colored people" mm. to include all people of color in that instance. Mm. Like, and like, as like the same way that bitch has been reclaimed or like nigga has been reclaimed, mm. like using it as a term of like my mm. homies, like my mm. color people. My, oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I'm like down with it. Okay. Sometimes I'm like, I'm, I mean black folks and mm-hmm. sometimes I mean like all y'all mm, or okay. all us all. Okay. I'm not going to lie. In the beginning, I was skeptical. I was like, mm. I'm listening, but now that you like when you just said like my color people, I yeah. was really feeling that. I'm into it because I feel like people of color has been co opted in a way that I don't like. I hate it. Right. But sometimes I do mean and then, then I know people it. Yeah, of I color. You need a descriptor. And sometimes yeah. I'm including like a multicultural group of people, but I feel like saying like, and I'm looking at multicultural. Sometimes yeah. like also like also like authors of color. Yeah. And I do mean not just black authors, yeah. not just Asian right. authors. You actually mean what you're saying. But I just want to be like colored authors. Oh my God. This is so <laughs> I know it sounds terrible, but I feel like once it catches on, people are gonna be into it. I think once you give your spiel and yeah. you have to give the whole Like thing, a lot of times. Yes, you cannot I like, can't just be like color by colored people. My colored people like that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Thank you for being on board. Yeah. No, I, it took some convincing, but I could get down with it. Right. Cause like, I don't like to say, like, my, my group of friends is diverse. There's many people I of color. Like, oh, I, my group, my group of color people. Yeah. My color folk. <laughs> yeah. We're my colored. color fam. Anyways, I think we can reclaim it now. I think, I mean, if there was ever a time, I think it would be now. Now's the time. The time um, is there's now. been enough time. I think that like, would you like take the British, like, no. Spelling of no, it, or just, just keep it 1960. Keep it at 1960. Keep it 1950, black and white. But like colored. that's what people used to say for real. Like black yeah. folks used to say colored. Yes, this colored girl. Yeah, this whatever. So yeah. shit changes. It Language does. changes. I wonder why we haven't done that yet. Nobody's brave like me. We've reclaimed some worse. <laughs> some a lot of words have been reclaimed yeah. in a lot of communities that are 
aggressive. Yeah. And I feel like if we, I feel like, I think what we could do now, listen, this is why this works. Unlike the okay. N word where people were using it derogatorily yes. forever mm-hmm. and still do. And there was never a break in the time where the word was used. Mm. So some people who use it, you're like, that's just racist. And mm. some people who use it are like, that's my friend. Mm. And there's a confusion allegedly on the behalf of some people about why they can or can't use it. That, yeah. This word, we stopped using it. People aren't yeah. saying colored person. It's like so saying it's, Negro. Actually, yeah. we are saying Negro. We are saying Negro. Mm. But I feel like colored is like been a hard no yeah. for a while. Absolutely. That if we reclaimed it, it would be obvious. Like if you weren't saying colored before to that 2020, you're definitely not saying colored now unless you're a colored person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas like with the N word, it's like, ooh, that's just racist. Yeah. And it's like, you yeah. know, concurrent timelines. Yeah. Wow. I'm going to flush this out. No, you've like really thought about it. I have thought about it. I think about it a lot. I'm very impressed. Like I am extremely impressed. Let me just also give this disclaimer before people just (laughs) try to destroy me. This could go really bad. Yeah. I also understand that this is not a great word to use. So I get it. And like, I don't, I don't know that I, I'm workshopping this is what I'm saying to people out there in the world. So please don't get mad at me and yell at me. I do think that there's something that we need a word for people of color by people of color. That's not people of color. Right. And so that is my proposal. (laughs) But if there's a better option, I'm open to it. Things I'm not open to minority. Got you. You know, minority is one of those words that I I also kind of feel the same where it's like I don't want to use it, but I don't have any other language. Right. I sometimes. use marginalized, but that's Even also that kind of the same me thing. Feel bad. Yeah. Like when I say like, oh, like I um because of the the book like lending library things that we're starting to do in different cafes are usually oh. owned by like marginalized communities. Mm. And it just makes me feel bad saying it. Like the word marginalized just makes right. me feel super marginalized. Right, right. And that doesn't feel good. No, and I'm I agree. like, it's like um, when you like say like at risk teen or right. something, it's like you're, my whole energy is automatically like, dang, like right. these right. poor people. And I hate that. Yeah, no, and, I'm with you. Yeah. And I just, I really, it bothers me too because <clears throat> there's not enough language around like, like we are the ones that have all of the words like marginalized minority like right. people of color all these things and then white people just have what like white supremacy or something right. and then when i say that people freak out well to, <laughs> they hate it the white the white woman thing from Heidi Klum are you up on this oh, wait oh yeah where she was like i don't call me they were, they were like there was a the whole thing with Gabrielle Union at America's Got Talent or whatever she called them out for being racist and doing shit that was not good to- mm-hmm. towards her mm-hmm. and her blackness and her hair and all sorts of stuff. So then people started coming out being like, America's Got Talent wasn't mean to me. And Heidi Klum did that. I don't know why, because of <laughs> course they didn't do, they, of course they didn't call you out on your hair. You don't have black hair. But then people, <laughs> I guess, called her a white woman. And then she came out and was like, people have been really mean to me about this. They've been calling me things like white woman. <laughs> like, Dear Heidi, you a white woman. You're a white woman. I don't get it. I don't get it either. What do you want me to call you? I don't know. Just do you prefer me calling you a Becky? Like, yeah. Like, I is, could call you a slur. We could go there. But, but like, yeah. It's no, a it's wild, wild thing. I took, when I was at Columbia, I did take this amazing class called Race and Racism in Psychology. 
and we talked about racial identity formation theories. Okay. And it's basically just like how different groups come into their racial identity. And mm. so uh, each group, like white people, black people, like Latinx people, like right. everyone sort of has their own specific way. And so white people are basically like come into their racial identity last. Like mm. everyone else has encounters very early on that like illuminate how their race is a part of their identity and like mm. their world. And then white people are like, super late in understanding like that whiteness is something is because thing. they think it's nothing and they right. think it's just like a default like normal setting like right. ground zero is just white right um and so we watched this video of these like they like interviewed all these college students like outside of a building or something and they were like uh, they were like, what do you see when you look in the mirror and or something? And then all these white people were just like, a person, a whatever. Right. Like, n- like very few of them said like white. Right. And like all the people that are black were like, oh, I see like a black woman or whatever. Right. Um, And so it really, really don't see themselves as white. It's well, what I'm trying to say. Yeah. No. And I feel like, <laughs> I mean, she talks about this in the book about like we as she calls us oppressed people or whatever mm-hmm. that um, we internalize that stuff too. Mm-hmm. And so I remember in college, I took a, it was another class. I don't know, some shit. I don't know. Okay. It was a hip hop class. Okay. Hip hop. It was, <laughs> I went to theater school. So I took a lot of like arts classes. Through. Okay, nice. Um, it was about whiteness and how like the same thing that like in a book, it'll say like, she said, but mm-hmm. if it was a black person, like the chocolate skinned woman said, right. right? And like, I have had to do the work of undoing that in my mind. Like when I describe someone like, oh, what does she look like? Oh, she's a white lady, da-da-da-da-da. Instead of yeah. just saying she's a lady with blonde hair, I'd mm-hmm. say like, she, well, you know, like, or or the opposite of saying like, oh, what, is she, what does Ash look like? I'd be like, oh, she's, she's a girl, you know, she's a mm-hmm. woman. Instead of saying she's a black woman. Mm-hmm. And like it's hard to do that even myself knowing – Knowing that that's been put on me and that that's mm. not real and that white whiteness is as much of a construct as blackness. Absolutely. But that I still have to stop and be like this person, like identifying that in white people. Yeah. And that it feels like a radical act to yeah. do it. But it doesn't feel like a radical act to be like Asha's a black woman. Yeah, like that feels it. super easy and natural <clears throat> to me. Yeah. But it feels harder to say Heidi Klum is a white woman. Yeah. But Heidi, you white. You white girl. You white, you white, white. Yeah, you German white yeah. or some shit. Like <laughs> Heidi Klum. Heidi Klum, you Come on. white. Yeah. With that yeah. HWH. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I actually find a lot of joy in saying, calling white people white. Yeah. Because that's really all I have. <laughs> so I enjoy doing it. Um, I love being like, this white lady just. Yeah. And honestly, it's like, regardless of whatever context it is, you are a white lady. Right. And you are a white man or whatever you And are. it's not... It's not the, bad. That's, that's interesting. <laughs> it's like, why is that an insult? Be, it makes you think that when someone calls you a black woman, that that's an insult. Yeah. Because like, why is it offensive to call out whiteness, but it's yeah. not offensive to call out blackness? Yeah. And I think also like when it comes to other groups, like, like folks in the Latinx community or the Asian community, mm-hmm. it's different because those are actual different like mm. cultures, mm. but a lot of the times when we're talking about white and black, we're talking about American, mm. like, and and the white part of it is interesting because those cultures have been assimilated into being allowed to be American, mm-hmm. whereas like other people from other backgrounds have not. So yeah. I, I recognize that that's in inherent in this conversation, like what we're saying, but 
black folks and white folks in America, we're all American. Like mm-hmm. we've all been here. I mean, I probably, my family's probably been here a lot longer than a lot of y'all white yeah. folks. And they probably lived in the same <laughs> right. same place, right. different circumstances. Right. But right. Yeah. But like, I think, you know, I think that, so, so my point being is that I think it is more offensive to call someone of like, like someone of Honduran descent, something that erases that by saying like that's a brown person mm. because there is a legacy of what that is in this country like that you're able to hold on to that in mm. a sense whereas like black like a lot of us couldn't hold on to if yeah. we were from Ghana or if we were from yeah. you know like so we became black yeah but white folks you also became white in that yes. same way yes, yes. you might have come over from somewhere but once you took on the privilege of being white you became white. Yeah. So you might be Irish. Yeah. Maybe. And maybe you know that you're Irish. Yeah. But when you took on the privilege of being white, you became white. Yes. You know, you are a white person. Yeah. And that's just it. And like, you can celebrate St. Patrick's Day and shit, but like you still white. Yeah. And I think too, there's a difference between, I think where a lot of the like, anxiety white people might have around being white which this is i'm spitballing i'm a black Mm -hmm. person so i don't really know (laughs) but what i imagine is that i don't know i just i feel like when they hear white especially from someone who's not white they just are like are you saying this because you hate me or they like maybe they think about white supremacy or something which i'm like you also benefit from because you're white because you're white so you're going to be connected to white supremacy like what just we all like are, I mean, even like, black people are connected yeah, to it. Like all, all of all us are connected to all it. Underneath in America, these I mean, I'm sure in some other places, maybe there's less of a connection. But in most places, even like African nations that are run by African folks, like white supremacy is global. Right. And it reminds me of that um, quote by Bell Hooks where she talks about uh, how like feminism is for everyone mm. and how like patriarchy, like any gender can embody patriarchy and like it actually needs things like white supremacy and patriarchy need everyone to help keep it afloat mm. it can't yeah. just be it can't just be the oppressor it has to no be it's like a total buy-in package situation taking care of your health isn't always easy but it should be at least simple that's why for the last three plus years i have been drinking ag1 every day no exceptions it's just one scoop mixed in water once a day every day and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. 
If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Have you seen Parasite? I have. Okay, I'm not going to spoil anything. I swear to God. No Parasite spoilers here. I swear to God, but that movie... Uh, really fucked me up, and it's continuing to fuck me up each day. Mm-hmm. Mostly, and I can I just talk about some of the themes in it, like yeah. capitalism. For those of you who theme. don't know, Parasite is a movie. It just won the Oscar for Best Picture this yes. year, the first foreign language film to ever win the Oscar. It won both categories. I guess mm-hmm. now it's international film, mm-hmm. um, and it is about a family in Seoul, South Korea, mm-hmm. who is poor. And a family in Seoul, South Korea, who is rich and how they come together through capitalist interaction. Yeah, I would say that. I, would, I don't want to say anything more, but that would be basically it. No, that's excellent. And the movie had me reflecting, like, even though this took place in South Korea, because capitalism was so entrenched in what was going on, I was like, I was I was kept thinking about myself and I was like, I have a hand in this. Yeah. Like I don't know like what it is, but I know that because I'm here and I'm like a part of this capitalist structure that like I'm responsible in some way for mm. what's happening to these people. Interesting. And I've been trying to figure out like what am I going to do about that? Or like mm. how am I gonna grapple with that? Because right. like it's similar to how I felt after I watched um us. Yeah. And just this idea of like Hmm. literal people lives and destinies being connected to my life and my destiny constantly Um, and how we're all bonded through this like super oppressive structure called capitalism. So it's just like and that like we even if we don't want to be. Like, like we not about are them. like, yeah. even if we don't want to be part of white supremacy, we are just by existing and the way that the structure works. Like we are, if, if we are not explicitly fighting it, we are implicitly accepting it. Yes, exactly. And that's why I'm like, I guess going back to the whole white people not wanting to be white thing. It's like, it's so not about you. Like, right. this is who you are within this system. Right. 
period. Right. <laughs> and so like almost back to what we were saying earlier, where it's like the scarier thing is for you to not think that that's real. Right. Well, and like, I think some of it also, um, there's a great podcast called Seen on Radio. Mm. Um, and they did a series on whiteness. They did a series on maleness. I think they've mm. done a series on democracy, but mm. Seen on Radio whiteness. It's fantastic. It's like eight or 10 episodes. Everyone should listen to it. I will link to it, obviously. But one of the things they talk about is like white people are taught to be individual. Yeah. And people, my colored people, <laughs> doesn't work as well there. I think oh, there you have to go people of color. Okay. I think it's got to be more like cash. Anyways, it's but, definitely got to be more cash. Yeah. I think it's got to be more like my yeah. fam. Yeah. Like yeah, my yeah, yeah, fam. yeah. 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 Okay. I'm working, workshopping. <laughs> um, but people of color are always taught to be part of a group. Yes. And so I think when you call someone a white person, mm. they have to reckon in that split second mm. with being part of this group and the ugly things that come with it. Mm. Obviously, they're not sitting there being like, what does it mean to be white? But mm. there is something that's triggering in yeah. a sense that's like, oh, I'm being lumped in with the current president of the United States or I'm being mm. lumped in with, you know, Thomas Jefferson or like other yeah. white people. I'm just naming presidents. <laughs> Everyone but Obama in your face. Um, yeah. That's fine. Yeah. I get that one. Yeah. Um, but that there is some like reckoning that's happening subconsciously or consciously that's like, oh, I don't want to be that. Yeah. It's like, sorry. But if you hey. identify as that for the good shit, yeah. take that for the bad you shit. You got to take it all. And honestly, like you're living good out here as a white person. Yeah. Like your life is... Uh, you're, there's just less, even the fact that like you're very concerned about being identified as white. Right. Like not something I could be, I can't be concerned about someone calling me black. Right. Well, that's the other thing. It's like, <laughs> it's it, just, yeah, it's like, I'm so used to it. <laughs> yeah. It's so like, and I think also like for me, I am mixed. Like my mm. mom is a white lady mm. and my dad is a black dude. Mm. And like no one ever asks me, how would you like to be identified? Yeah. You know, no, like no. I am as much black as I am white as far as like my makeup. Mm. But I identify as black because I have been identified as black. Yeah. If I was, I was yeah. given the choice, I don't know that I would choose. I think I would identify as mixed. Yeah. Because that is what I am. I am both things at once. Yeah. But I feel like I identify as black because that is who I have been told to be. Yeah. I, know? Yeah. And I, I think about, I have a friend who's also biracial and she's half black and half white. And someone asked her like do you ever like really feel really confused or whatever and she was like not really like she was like I mean nobody ever thinks I'm white right right <laughs> like she was like I've never been anywhere and someone assumed I'm white like, right not even my white family would right. assume I'm white right so she was like she sort of said the similar things where she was like I understand who I am biologically but I also understand like I'm automatically not white and right. so that is making me black Right. Well, some something that someone said to me that really pissed me off and I mm. was not anticipating it. Mm. Is someone called me a non-white person. They were Interesting. They were saying like, "Oh, it was something to do with a book." And they had said like, "Oh, I'm really interested to hear what you think as a non-white person." Cuz the book talked about I think it was such a fun age actually cuz it really? talked about race and I was really deeply offended by that cuz I am not offensive. not white. Yeah. I actually am also white. You mm. might not see me as that, but I actually mm. am and like my mom is very much a part of my life mm. and my white family very much is a part of my life mm. and I really took a like deep offense to that. Mm. And I know that that's kind of weird because I don't really hold on to my whiteness 
in a lot of ways, but that felt like an erasure of my family. And you've already kind of erased them by assuming that I'm just black or just Mm, anything. Yeah. But to actually articulate it in that way, I was like, yo, you actually don't know me. Like I'm not, not a white person. Yeah. You know, like I'm both, I am, I hold both things at Mm, once and like that. And I didn't, I would never have thought that that would have pissed me off until Mm. someone said it. Yeah. And then I was like, the fuck? It sounds a little weird to hear. It's weird to call some, to identify someone as what they're not. Yeah. Like you would never be like, oh, as a non-queer person. Right. Right. Like you, I feel like it should be affirmation. Also, it's your, yours to identify yeah. yourself. Right. Not to have someone else. And it's very specific. The only ways that I've heard people use the non thing is if people are being specific about like, non-black Latinx people or right. something like that where right. they're addressing like an entire community's like right. relationship to not being that thing right actually, right 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 like totally. in a structural way or something yeah I think that works so, I think but on an individual level it's yeah weird. that's a lot and it's presumptive yeah like you don't know what my non is yeah <laughs> like you don't know <laughs> no, have you seen my 23 and me right. okay then. like don't non me yeah um, okay, we I have some things we have to talk about in this book. I know we got off on a tangent, but I think it's important okay. because I think that no, it, it's, all it's relevant. in the work. Yeah. Like this identifying and like self-naming and like the power in yeah. And I think like in that whole conversation we just had, it shows how powerful it is to yeah. say who you are. Yes. And like I think that's true also for pronouns. People get really yeah. just like dismissive and bitchy about people's pronouns. Mm. And like that shit is important. It's huge. It's everything. I mean, on like a root level, your pronouns are a huge part of your identity. Mm -hmm. Like, I actually been thinking about this when I have people come on the podcast, you know, before people at home, you don't know this, but before I kind of talk to people, you know, we get warmed (laughs) up, we loosen up a little bit. But I think I'm going to start asking everyone their pronouns. It's a good practice. It is because you don't want to make someone feel uncomfortable. And it's important to remind people who are cis that like, it's a choice. Our pronouns yeah. are a choice to yeah. us and like that we are affirming that part of ourselves. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So. It's good to ask and it's good to like, I like to share mine and then ask. Yeah. Because the burden is on me too. Right. To like, that's a great point. Yeah. To bring that into the conversation in a way that's personal to me because right. who is anyone else to assume anything about me? Right. That's such so, a great point. Yeah. I feel like we just all need to start naming ourselves and owning who yeah. we are and just being like, this is me. It's that time. I think the culture is slowly coming around. Yeah. Like I um I do watch Grownish okay. and <laughs> I have like a love-hate relationship with that show, but anyway. Um and I was watching it today and they one of the characters is like having a baby. Oh yeah. This is not a spoiler because it was like all their promo stuff was about this, but I won't say who just okay. in case. Um, but one of the characters is having a baby. And so the doctor was like, they were like, oh yeah, like, uh, she, he, or they is shaping up great or whatever. And I just was like, yeah, Yeah. like it was such a small part of it, but I was like, this is where we're moving. And that's like a really great thing. So, well, I've had, I mean, we just had twin boys. Mm. At the moment, we're calling them boys because they have male genitalia. But one of the things that I've been really grappling with is, like, how do you make space for their gender identity, but also not make their whole lives about their gender, Mm. right? Like, Mm. because if they do turn out to be people who identify as cis, like cis men, then I don't want their whole 
world to be about being a man and like putting too much importance on that mm. part of them also. And like, mm. you know, like, it, am I bad for putting my son in blue? Mm. You know, it's like, I don't know. I don't think so. Like, no. I'll give him a doll and a truck or whatever the whatever stupid yeah. binary shit yeah. there is. Yeah. And like they can play with whatever they want. But yeah. how do you just kind of like not hold too much space for these things also, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not a parent, but <laughs> I... I'm a parent for like two days, so <laughs> I, don't worry. That's like two days more than me. <laughs> uh, but I think like, I don't know, because I've thought about that too with like one day, right. you know, if it all works out or whatever, then that'll be my life as well. And I just really think that like, I don't know. I think that even the fact that you're like cognizant of this at all or like right. thinking about it, you're like light years ahead of like <laughs> our parents, like right. their grandparents or whatever. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there are some people who go like full, we are going to be non-binary with our kids until right. they tell us. Right. And then there's other people. I think the point is that whenever that time comes right. that you listen to them. Right. And I think that like this conversation we're having around this particular topic with like Gabrielle Union and right. like Dwayne Wade and yeah. their daughter Zaya is like also fucking huge. great name choice. I feel like Beautiful. a lot of 13 year olds would have picked a stupid fucking yep. name. That's the thing. Yeah. I'm like, Zaya? you, that's a strong name. Zaya is gorgeous. And uh, I mean, if I was Zaya, I would have been like, my name was Ashley because right. I love Mary Kate Nash. That's what I'm saying. Or something like, like I would have been like, I'm Zendaya. Right. <laughs> I love you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would not have chose something that was so gorgeous and that would like, right. like you can really blossom into a Zaya. Right. Like there's space there. It's no really shade to the She's athletes. gonna be very happy with herself yeah. when she's 25 or 35 or whatever totally. that she didn't pick like candy. Yeah, right. <laughs> no like I would candy. Been, yeah, no offense, candy. But right, sorry, actually. you were saying that the conversation we're having around. I interrupted. Well, yeah, I just think that like. I, what I love about them specifically is that they're really open about like not knowing mm-hmm. how to do everything mm-hmm. and like that they're open to learning, but like they're really listening to what their child is saying and yeah. like supporting them. So I just feel like as long as you do that, like yeah. that's right. the best we can hope for. Of course. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I think like that's, that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. You know? Like just like keep space for whatever my kids decide they want to be. Yeah. And like also, I mean, a unique challenge is that they're identical twins. Mm. And so like holding space for each of them to be different things, Mm. you know, like when you, I think when you have kids that are different, like ages and different that it's easier, but like remembering like, okay, one of you is your own person and one of you is your own person. Anyways. Um, so exciting. It is exciting. Okay. (laughs) I do want to talk a little bit because you have this kind of unique, um, entry point through education, which is part Mm. of Audre Lorde's, um, identities. She talks about, black Mm -hmm. literature and um and racism in education but she talks about how like people can't identify with black literature and i'm just curious like Mm -hmm. her theory is that they don't they don't see black people as human Mm -hmm. or their experiences as like universal i guess essentially Mm -hmm. but like what were i mean what were your experiences around that sort of stuff you know you were at columbia which is a historically white college and then you're also at Spelman which is historically black college so you've had kind of like both worlds yeah in that same sphere yeah um I I actually had a really uh intense debate at Columbia with a student about diversifying the literary canon and why Mm -hmm. it's important and 
they were saying that uh, I forgot what book it was, but they were like, yeah, um, it's really difficult for me to read books about other people, basically, because I can't connect to their stories because they're like doing other stuff or whatever, Hmm. Um, which I just didn't really believe, honestly, because I think about even me like loving Harry Potter. Mm. Like, I don't know anything about wizardry. Like, he's living a completely different life than me in so many ways. But the beauty of, like, books and stories is that, like, it really does help you practice empathy because you do kind of connect to, like, feeling like that kind of under the stairs sometimes Mm -hmm. where you're just like, nobody gets me. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Well, and, like, I think we, as in people of oppressed groups, are (laughs) used to having to insert ourselves in other people's stories. Yeah, absolutely. We have no choice. Right. Like yeah. we didn't get an opportunity. There isn't, there wasn't, for me at least, like a black woman's catcher in the rye. Yeah. There is no black yeah. woman Holden as far yeah. as I know from when I, I mean, I'm sure there are now. Yeah. Because like Young People's Lit is so incredible it's now. Popping. It's like insane. It's popping. But, you know, like we've never had a choice. We've always yeah. had to substitute ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so yeah, I w- and I also was just sort of like, why should that mean, like, this is such a you problem kind of, you know <laughs> yes, what I mean? Like, I is. was like, like, my main thing was like, why are we even talking about just what you think about it? And that's the center of like, should, like, should people be required to read like Toni Morrison because you don't get it or like right. you feel like you don't connect to it or you have a, like, you know, it just was like, it was a mess. Well, and also um, like, I don't get some Toni Morrison. I was going to say, it's like, <laughs> that shit is dense. It's very dense. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. I have to read each line. You can't yeah. skip. Like no. you can't skim. No. No. So it just was like, so yeah, anyway, I've had a lot of different like conversations with people about representation and books and why it's important. And like one thing, this is actually kind of veering a tiny bit. But it is going back to this cover phenomenon Mm. because I have like what I'm noticing is like, for example, with the book Such a Fun Age, Mm -hmm. you can't really tell what it's about by like what the cover looks like, which is like it's cool on one end because people might pick it up because they're like, hmm, such a fun or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I also do feel for like new readers who are like young and black and. Uh, who are looking specifically for books about black girls or black Mm. girl experiences and not being able to engage with them on the cover enough to like pick them up. Like I think about when I was growing up, like there was this book about these girls who were Afro Latinas and which I had no concept of what that even meant. Right. I just saw them on the cover. They had braids and it was some book about a quinceañera. And Mm -hmm. I was like, but you guys are black. Like I was just like stunned. Right. And I read the book and it turns out they're like Panamanian and like all this stuff. And they like lived in the Bronx or whatever. And it like really opened my world. But it was because I saw those black girls on the cover. I was mm. like, oh, like I could possibly connect to this. Right. Like I'm going to get this because I'm 15 and I've heard of Kinsey's before. Right. So, um, yeah, it's like the, I guess your question was more like, what, I guess what was my experience with Well, like, I don't know. I think you answered the question. It wasn't there. Yeah. Sometimes I don't really ask questions. Sometimes I just like <laughs> casually bring up topics and then talk for a while and okay. then I just stop <laughs> and then I hope that you have figured out an answer to my non-question. And I okay, think you great. did. Okay, cool. 
Yeah. I think you did. Yeah. I just, yeah. I mean, I, I think that it, like, for example, this section of the book, this mm. idea about like black lit and, mm. and representation and stuff did not feel revolutionary to me because mm. I feel like it's something that has been talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. And this is perhaps the fan- foundational text of the people that I read and listen to who have mm. been doing the conversation. Mm. So it felt like a continuation of something that I've been thinking about right. as opposed to like the impetus to have that thinking. Yeah. Which, you know, it, it's an interesting thing to read something that I think has inspired so many people that I admire mm-hmm. so much later mm-hmm. because I, it doesn't, I don't attribute a lot of this to her and I probably should. Mm, yeah. I definitely should. Yeah. But like reading it now, it doesn't feel like I yeah. won't, ha- you know, like I remember the first time, you know, that someone told me this or told me that. And I probably, if I'd read this first, it would all be her and yeah. not and not others. But I guess in that same line, we probably should wrap up soon, but in that same line, are there people that you feel like writers or journalists or whatever, people who are, I guess, in in, who write things Mm -hmm. or I guess talk, who you feel like are the current people who are like in line and part of this legacy of Audre Lorde? Like, can you think of any? Okay. So the Nat Ministry is this um, like ministry org. That was started by this black woman. Her name is Trisha Hersey. Hey, Trisha, if you're listening. <laughs> hey, Trisha. Hey, Trisha, girl. Um, started by this dynamic black woman named Trisha. And her the whole foundation of the Nat Ministry is centered around the idea that resting should be a part of reparations. Mm. And that um, grind culture is connected to white supremacy and mm. how this like idea that your worth is connected to your productivity level Mm. is like inherently capitalist and white supremacist and that Mm. what we all need to do particularly black people um is to have space to rest and to make sure that we like have boundaries in terms of like our work and just things like that so she literally hosts these well she has this thing now that she's doing called resurrect resurrect rest school okay um where they're literally like going over black feminist theory and talking about like rest and self-care practices and all these things um with like no phones and they have and she like facilitates these group naps Mm. which are actually like incredibly it's it's just i had been following her for a while and then when i actually went to one of her like workshops where she still takes the, the group nap it was the most um, emotionally like overwhelming experience. Really? Wow. Yeah. She's like reading poetry to you as you're like trying to nap. And it actually was easier than I thought it would mm. be to like nap with a bunch of people I didn't know. Um, she has like an altar set up where she has wow. like pictures of her grandmother and she has like candles and she reads poetry to you at the end. You're waking up to Nina Simone's Here Comes the Sun. Mm. Like it's a real experience. And I mean, half of us were like crying because it was like just thinking about our families and not everyone there was black, but just thinking about like how much we have been um, hoodwinked and bamboozled by society to like think that not resting and like not taking time for yourself is uh, okay. Right. And so Hmm. anyway, but a lot of her work I see in... Audre Lorde's work when she talks about um, like self-care being a radical act and like how um, poetry has a place in the resistance movement, like all of those sorts of parallels. um, When she talks about like 
white people feel and black people do and how that's mm. like bullshit mm-hmm. and like it takes away the humanity and that's kind of like in that same yeah that same world that like yeah. black people also feel yeah yeah exactly and like she has that um quote where she talks about how like like white thinkers told us like i think and i am or mm-hmm. something and our black feminist mothers told us like i feel and therefore i'm free yeah so um yeah, so I see a lot of like parallels and I feel like she's really continuing Audre Lorde's like legacy in a really yeah. amazing way. Um I also think Erica Hart does that as well, like in terms of um not allowing for other people to sort of name her or mm. like uh like number her oppressions from one to ten and not right. doing like oppression Olympic stuff with her. Right. Um I think her pronouns are she and they, but um, yeah, so there's a lot of, it's, yeah, there's a lot of people. I feel like I am also, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to name me, I'm going to plug me. Good for you. Mm-hmm. I was, One of the people that popped into my mind while I was reading this was uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones, who mm. did the 1619 Project. Mm-hmm. I think like on the more, um, the like the idea of like what does it mean to be black and who gets mm-hmm. to be black and who gets to be American and who gets to occupy space. I think she really has like taken yeah. up that mantle. Yeah. That um, project is amazing. I, it's like and it's just it's so vast and it's never ending, it feels like. And yeah. it's just like such a gift. Did you listen to the podcast? I listened to all of them except it for the last so, one. It was so short. I, I want more. The one on music with Wesley Morris. Holy shit. So good. I love Wesley Morris because he has a podcast with Jenna Wortham. Yes, still processing. Uh, yes, and it's like my so favorite good. thing. They also yeah. have a great episode called Wake that ha- includes Parasite. It's <gasps> like the most recent episode they did before their most recent break because they're always taking breaks. Oh, but anyways. I have to listen to that. It's really good. Um, okay. The last thing we always do is cover and title. What do you think of those things? We both have the green type cover. Yeah. We both have the green cover from Crossing Press. Um, it's, I think, like from 2007 or something. It's green. It has two heads of people that to me look like women, um, but they could be not. Um, and I think I'm assuming they are. Yeah, I'm assuming they are based on the book. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, um, green, green on green with black and green. Mm-hmm. And it's the, just, it's very green. Yeah. Um, so I kind of wish that these women weren't on the cover. Yeah. I don't really like this drawing of them. I don't either. I don't like it. And I just like, I never thought I would say that out loud, but (laughs) I don't, but I do like the color green and I do like the font. Yeah. It has kind of like a retro, like this, this green is very like seventies, like, yeah. Scooby-Doo green kind yeah. of. It's like that cookware that was like that green. Yes. Yeah. Like I like that. Um, and I love the title. Yeah. The title is one of my favorites. And there's actually a book club in LA called Sister Insider. Yeah. Um, and I love this title because it really encapsulates, I feel like this entire book really well. Yeah. Um, which is about like being a part of this, like, community of like I guess like women and sisterhood and feminism and stuff but also like existing on the margins in different ways right because of different identities that like push you out or like don't name your experience and so then you're on the outside right constantly um so I think yeah I love I I love the title I think the title functions on a lot of different levels Mm -hmm. because I also think I don't know maybe 
this is anachronistic. Like maybe this happened after the fact, but like using the mm-hmm. word like sister in the black power struggle, but also like sista, mm-hmm. which like was like the like girlfriend, you know, in yeah. the black vernacular. Yeah. Um, so I liked that. And then I liked obviously the outsider part, but I also felt like it was a call to be an insider in mm-hmm. her inside by saying mm-hmm. like, like it, to my sisters on the outside kind of thing, mm-hmm. like people who aren't in with me. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of felt like it had a little bit of call to action to it in a sense. Yeah. So I really liked I really like that. I agree. I do not love the drawings. <laughs> I don't love it. the cover. I don't necessarily feel like it adds value to the book, nor do I feel it, like it shows the reader what is going to be inside. No, not at all. Not at all. Like I, and there's another version of this, like an older version mm-hmm. that I think is like just pink or something. Oh. And I feel like even that communicates more, more, like not necessarily it. because of like the color pink, but right. just like as a, a blank book with the words somehow gives just you more feel, than yeah. these two women who are just like looking at you and each other. Right, right, right. I don't know. It's really odd. But um, she has another book called Zami, A New Spelling of My Name, which mm-hmm. is a um, biomythography, which okay. is a term that she coined that um, kind of like comes from this idea that like regardless of whether you're telling your own story, like you're always adding sort of like myths to it a little Mm -hmm, bit because mm -hmm. it's you like right 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 and so it's almost like the three sides to every story thing where it's like yes it's your your story but like even when I think about myself I'm like I was alone 90 percent of the time and my mom is like no you weren't right you know so (laughs) so like yeah so her story is sort of like part fiction part part um you know not right and you don't really know as the reader like could you really like did you really not speak until you were four or like that's just how you felt so um yeah I love the term biomythography but anyway I feel like the people did the same cover art Mm. because it's a funky orange with like black writing and like some funky images of Hmm. like drawings okay and so maybe it's like part of like a collection I guess so but I'm like it's time to To update update. yeah Yeah, it's time all right y'all we're going to wrap it up here. We're all done. Um, thanks for listening. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And this of course, so I'm linking in the show notes to all of the free Black Women's Library here in LA um, for you to check out to give show a little love to support the work that Asha's doing. Yeah. Thank you for being here. And we will see you guys in the stacks. Thank you for listening. And thank you again to Asha Grant for being our guest. Find everything we discussed today through the link in our show notes, including a link to help support the work of the Free Black Women's Library. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. Follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review this show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright, and our theme music is from Tagirages. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. <laughs>